I'm Mike Sheridan and this is The Dell. How's everything in lovely LA? It's good. Today it's a bit overcast, but you know, that might change by one o'clock. And so far, so good. I believe, and you just had your birthday recently, right? You just had a big birthday. I did. I did. I turned 30. How was it? <laughs> it was wild. I mean, not, it, it was a strange trip. Uh, we, it was a working vacation that then we took a couple days to then actually vacation afterwards. We, we took a boat with my uncle from Marina del Rey to Cabo San Lucas. Uh, and we were on 24 hour watches, um, because we were part of the crew. So it wasn't, it was not yachting. Like, you know, people might have perceived that from silly, stupid Instagram posts, but the reality was it was very hard. And we did, you know, my shift was either from, uh, midnight to two to two or four to now either two to six or midnight to two. You know, I, I had the shitty ones because (laughs) my, my, um, my uncle, (laughs) was teaching us everything and so there were two captains uh my my fiance who did all the chef work and was a deck mate uh a deckhand and so it was a lot and then by the time I we reached Cabo it was actually on my birthday and I was like get me the fuck off this <laughs> boat I need to take 18 showers I was the only girl everybody reeked I mean, we were showering but sparingly because we you never know when you could get water or you know out of fuel yeah might guarantee fuel but no water so we all smelled I felt like I had to scrub the scurvy off my body by the time I went by the time I um you know dinner rolled around I was ready to just let loose and how long did it how long did it take eight days eight days God, that's a that's a long old time to be out in the middle of nowhere really right oh, oh yeah and we were just on the coast of Baja you know cruising 10 12 knots <laughs> and the last two days we had wretched weather and it just was like an earthquake inside of the we had to zip tie everything down to in in the galley and at one point a wave took the boat and spun it around and water came gushing into my cabin. And I was so fucking tired. It was 4 a.m. that I literally looked at everything that was wet and was like, all right, is my computer wet? Uh, whatever. Who cares? And I threw the blanket down and just went back to sleep. And Patrick comes in and he's like, are you like, do you, are you not aware of what happened? I was like, I just don't care. I just want to get off. I'm so tired. Like, everything was wet. I feel like but, I would just, I would just make Titanic jokes the whole time. Like I swear, get out. Just I would never, never get tired no, of it. Was, it was actually on the flip side, really awesome because we learned a ton. We learned how to navigate with the charts and stay on course and all, all and use the stars and all things that you know you only learn from old pros. So like like my uncle and so that was great but you know I also learned that I am much more of a beach dweller than a yachty <laughs> Fair. that doesn't sound like yachting classically that sounds like work no it was well, basically well. like a to- it was like a tow job but we also got to learn a tow job from Marina Del Rey to Cabo and then we went and took um took a long weekend in a little town called Salulita 
which is near Puerto Vallarta. And that was lovely. And I got all my like beach fixes out of the way there. And then I came back home. Lovely. So mm-hmm. the, the doc came out in the States, was it in October? Yes. Seduced came out in October, um, the same month that uh, Keith Raniere was sentenced. Right, right. Because I know you you actually went in for the sentencing, right? I did. I um, I traveled and that was actually one of the only times that I traveled in the pandemic was to speak at his sentencing. And it was um, it was a big decision for me, but it was one that I didn't want to lose the opportunity to have my peace because there was no reason that I ever needed to see Keith Raniere again, except for to share my piece and then move on with my life. And And that was a pretty big moment, but it was so scary leading up to it. I just didn't know how I was going to feel, what it was going to be like. I ended up going alone um, just by choice because uh, I thought that this, you know, how sometimes you just need to do things on your own. And, and this was one of those moments. And so it was a pretty much a 24 hour turnaround. And then I was back on the bandwagon of doing press for seduced. And I had literally just like gone and spoken at the sentencing and they're like, how do you feel? I'm like, I don't know. I just am trying to process this. Your head must've been spinning. It was, it was. I mean, the the guy's reaction was like, I mean, I, I think first of all, I think a lot of people in Ireland say, will have heard about Nixium and will have heard about the cult via Alison Mack. So via, you know, that girl from Smallville was in this right. cult and then... Was that popular in Ireland? Yeah, it was. It well, would have right. been, yeah. Um, and I mean, not hugely so, but kind of around those shows in the knots, you know. But it's, that, that's, and that's where it kind of got, that was the kind of hook for people just to become interested in it. And then The Vow came out, obviously, uh, a few months ago as well. And I stumbled across your documentary on the Stars app and binged the four episodes and was not emotionally right after for a couple of days, India. I'm not going to lie. Uh- I was, I was just going to ask, I was like, how did you feel? <laughs> Cause I can barely, I mean, I, my poor fiance, I let him preview it before it went out to the, to the world. And he was just like, uh, holy shit. I was like, yeah, sorry, but I thought it would be better if you knew first. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like anything was, you know, things that I hadn't already told him in our personal relationship, but just to see it in that four episode format was a lot. Uh, Especially for, that third episode. Yeah, it's yeah, like, oh, that God, that's intense. Mm-hmm. But you're, you're obviously an executive producer on the doc. So yeah. you, you were kind of looking at it all come together, I assume, when you were involved in some of the creative decisions and stuff. So was it, was it was. like simultaneously strange to be in the middle of it and behind yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely was. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that I have to nod my hat to is the fact that I, I did grow up in the entertainment industry. So that those, that type of thinking objectively about a project even if you're involved was like part of my childhood and I I mean I never really wanted to be an actress I always wanted to be a producer ironically and I remember being on set sitting sitting with the directors watching all of the creative decisions initially I wanted to be in craft service because I'm all about snacks and food and so I thought that was going to be my career path and then I saw the producers and I was like well maybe I want that job and and so for me in in seduced it was incredibly difficult because one I'm so emotionally involved in the story and it's I'm talking about things that generally people do not want to discuss uh you're talking about rape manipulation 
coercive control, all of these things that people are generally like, hmm, rather not. And so it brought a lot for me personally, it brought up a bunch of, you know, dormant memories that I had to confront and was like having therapy on screen at, at, you know, many moments, which, you know, I didn't anticipate, but I was, I was open because I, my promise to the series was to be as open and honest as possible for it to be an educational piece of work. And uh, that came with its own personal and professional challenges. Does it get easier talking about it? Because I know you've spoken about when you initially left Nixium, you just wanted to go to a mountain somewhere and I would be the exact same. You don't want to talk to anybody, you don't want to talk, but does it get easier? It does get easier. It really does. But, you know, healing is just not linear. And I, I mean, I've said that a million times because it, it it just isn't. And sometimes, you know, you feel like you're going two steps forward and then, you know, five steps back and and you're in a tailspin because something's triggered you and you have to be able to identify that and move on. And I feel like I'm much better at that now. And it doesn't um, throw me in the same way as it used to. It, it would throw me for weeks at a time, whereas now maybe a couple hours or a day. Um, and so I just have to be gentle with myself, knowing that that does happen. And I can't deny it. It would have been nice to be able to run away to a mountain and pretend like none of this existed. But if you know anything about, you know, trauma or just life experiences, that's just not the way it works. You just can't, <laughs> you can't delete things. They, they'll show up and they'll show up in your relationships and they'll show up in your work and you'll be confronted with it one way or another. And that my decision to speak out publicly was really a choice to go all in and to have a path out. And, and that was how I had to stay focused. Like you, you were a kid when you first went into, you were 19 when you first went into Nixium. Like I, I would, and that's what people like are kind of crazy judgmental about people who end up in cults without really understanding coercive control. Never mind something like being at right. an age like that. I know. And there's, there's a lot of stigmas about cults that I have, I've come to learn are, are not true. One of which is that you have to be young and vulnerable. And, and that's not the truth because even in Nexium, for example, we had a whole Harvard contingency of people who were highly educated, were adults. And sorry, my little cat's trying to jump on the desk and I don't want her to. She's, she's more than welcome. She can, she can be in the show. She can, she, she can sit in my lap. But if she goes on the desk, she just starts knocking things off and I don't like it. That's why, um, I, kicked, that's why I kicked my dog out. But she fired at yeah. first as a separatist. Nice. <laughs> right, just as a parting gift. Yeah. Um, so I, um, sorry, where were we? We were at the part of... Talking about coercive control. Ah, yes. And and so for me, I really wanted to make sure that seduced was going to leave people with debunking a lot of those stigmas that they might have already had, like that you need to be stupid, that you need to be naive or vulnerable or whatnot, and or weak or weak-minded. And and a lot of those things are not true. And actually what I discovered in my own research separate from uh, Nexium and just cults and high control groups in general is that it really has to do with your vulnerabilities as a human being, which we all have, and that there are people out there that are masters at manipulating and they are able to identify, and I don't like to call it a weakness, but somebody's vulnerability, and they can use that against you 
if you're susceptible to it. And and so it, that's why I say that it could actually happen to anybody because I do believe that if you're at the wrong place, wrong time. I mean, who can't relate to being fooled or conned at least one time in their life, whether it was a romantic relationship or just a lousy business decision. And so I wanted people to see the similarities between a manipulation that they might have had in their life and something as extreme as Nexium. It's a very slow, it's a very slow drip as well. And right. you thought, and you know, it's, it's, and it just appears like, it, it, I think Seduce did a really good job of just underlining how they just kind of pull people in and you assume, and I, like I watched your conversation uh, with the director, Cecilia Peck and how Cecilia nearly ended up in there as well, because it was recommended yeah. to your by former friends and you're like, this is yep. female led, it's empowerment. It all seems like on the surface, such positive stuff. I know. And that's some of that's, that's the really twisted and sophisticated part about cults now, uh, especially with the kind of new age and um, personal growth movement is that they can use a lot of that jargon that might be, you know, normalized, like lean into the fear or, you know, do the thing that makes you uncomfortable. Like those things in theory can be good and can be healthy challenges sometimes, but when it's done in a way that's coercive and it's intending to kind of move you in a direction that serves the leadership and actually doesn't serve you, that's when it can be dangerous. And I um, I wanted people to know that this isn't something that also happens overnight. This is something that happens over time. And that's why there is a grooming process and there's a process of indoctrination. It's not like, you know, Alison Mack came to me and said, hey, you want to join a master slave group tomorrow? <laughs> like, like, no, I would have said, like, what the fuck are you talking about? It was something that I had been primed for, unbeknownst to me, for five years by the time I even said yes to DOS. It must be surreal for you to see, you know, I know you lived with Alison for a couple of years as well. Uh, and so it must be surreal for you to see somebody that you knew so well kind of going through this as well. And at the same time, you know, she's she's got legal issues. I think she's still waiting to be sentenced, is she? She's going to be sentenced this month on the 30th. And so it's been a pretty challenging month for me um, emotionally. I had to write another statement and that was really hard. And it brought up a lot of dormant memories that I hadn't wanted to think about for a while and just revisiting that time. And I did live with her for about two years. And I mean, it's funny you say, you know, someone who I knew so well, I thought that I knew this person so the well. Surface. And I think, yeah. yeah, and I think that's one of the more difficult realizations is, is thinking that you know somebody and that they have your best interest and that you can trust them implicitly. And that that level of betrayal of feeling like, holy shit, how did I not see that? when it was just right in front of me that's that's a challenging thing to unravel and i and so i've i've been working on that myself for the past couple of years and and just this month i feel like i cracked open some things that i hadn't wanted to and so that shows you like that this is kind of an ongoing process i try not to let it take over my life but sometimes it really throws me and i have to be okay with that and like the footage that you guys managed to get for us to do as well from Nixium was like, I just found out, like I watched it out and I, I like, I wouldn't enjoy isn't the right word, but I found it fascinating as well. Yeah. 
But the footage that you guys have introduced, and I'm talking about like when Keish is on stage or like seminars or whatever they are, some of the shit he says is super disturbing. Are people that locked in that they're like, oh no, he's making sense. It's Keish. He's the smartest man in the world, which is something that you were told from early on as well. From the beginning. Um, yes, but I think it's two things. It's it's that, that one that they're very locked in, but there's something that happens in, um, you know, large group, you, you can call them LGATs, like large group awareness or just kind of group think that stops you from questioning because we weren't in a culture of questioning. We we're in a culture of obedience. And so when you're living in that kind of environment, it's very difficult to um challenge the authority who is sharing that kind of information i mean as a viewer you see it and you're like what did that guy just say oh my god i would have walked out in an instant but when you're there there's a lot of pressure to conform and to support and so it was rare that somebody felt comfortable enough to object sometimes it would happen if they were new but new students would quickly be corrected and that's one of the dangers about these large group where I mean large groups in general is they can be um they're like a self-cleaning oven like they do the work for the leader rather than having him have to do it directly and there was they would do have these conversations with like Mark Vasante and these guys playing volleyball which just is the most random and <laughs> Also, retrospectively, extremely creepy way to like have conversations with people. It was just so so I strange. I, I don't want to keep you too long, but one of the no. one of the another one of the parts of the of the series, and I can't recommend it enough that I found fascinating, and I think people would find it really empowering too. Is that you went back to Albany, where a lot of this trauma happened to you, and I know you've spoken about even been on the train there and the anxiety and 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 stuff that that brought mm-hmm. up in you. I didn't actually expect myself to have physical responses to that. I I think I was like kind of wishful about the fact that that wouldn't affect me in the way that it did. Um, And I sort of, I said yes to going back because like I said, it was part of my commitment to the series to kind of confront these things. And that was what I had decided to do, but I was fucking scared and I did not want to go back to Albany at all. I had no interest except for, to serve the series and to make sure that I didn't have places in my life that I was terrified to go to. So there, it was twofold. I didn't want that to be somewhere that I um, felt afraid of, but I also knew that it was important uh, to go back there, just instinct, I guess. Um, and so going back, I remember for immediately, I started having acid reflux. I started feeling like my throat was closing up. I was having a hard time eating. I was I was struggling. And it was a lot of my body just kind of telling me like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Like, why are we here? It wasn't so conscious. It was more like a physical reaction that I was having. Was it was anybody telling you that maybe it wasn't a good idea to go back? Were you just Yeah, like my mom. To... <laughs> my mother. Like, Don't go near that place. Stay away. I know. My mom was like, Are you sure you want to do that? And I was like, I, yeah. Yeah, I am. Um, but, you know, my mom is always looking out for me. And, and so she she wants me to make sure that I'm I'm doing things for the right reasons. And and sometimes you do need a little bit of an outside person that that you trust to say, like, hey, is this is this good for you? 
are you sure you want to do this? And then you have to have the wherewithal to be able to check in with yourself and say, is this what I need to do in order to heal? And that's, that's something that I am constantly asking myself because sometimes you get so much advice and so much influence from other people that you forget to check in with your own intuition or soul or whatever you want to call it. And I think that's been a very important part of my healing and kind of rebuilding that muscle that was weakened for so many years. You met, you mentioned your mom there and your, your mom is remarkable. Like she's she just, she just zoned in on like, obviously you're her daughter. She wants you to be okay, but nothing was stopping her. Was it? I no, no. Somebody saying Keith underestimated your mother, which really does seem like. She did truth. actually for, for Christmas, I got her stationery that says, don't fuck with cats. <laughs> and, and she loved it because it really is true. And I mean, I guess you just don't know what you're made of until you're tested and I have so much respect for my mother and our relationship is just tremendously different now that we have gone through this. I mean, it's not anything that I would have wished for either of us, but it has made us both um, stronger people. Were you like aware when you were in Nixium of what your mom was trying to do? Obviously, I know she was texting you and she was and you were still seeing her and speaking to her. But like when she went on Megan Kelly and, and that type of stuff, and it was obviously. Oh, but such- I wasn't seeing her then. I wasn't when I was in when I was in Albany. I mean, there was a time where we didn't communicate for about eight months, um, which was really long for us. And and actually, prior to that, we really were only kind of texting here and there because my life had become so absorbed with DOS that it was almost like I was living a double life. Like I had to kind of give a front to my family. And then all of these other things that I were doing were completely a secret. And so I felt really distant from my family for for a long time. And I felt really afraid of my mom. But that was also because of what they were telling me, which was that my mom was a psychopath, that she was trying to destroy the company, that she was doing this for her own, you know, personal media exposure. I mean, like all sorts of things that they were telling me that made me distrust my mom even more so. And so that's taken a lot of time to rebuild and um you know, get rid of those sort of old messages. But I was, I was really upset with my mom when she was coming out against Nexium because I did not understand what she knew. And I mean, as well as that, you're on what, 500 calories a day. You've been, right. you're not sleeping. I'm not sleeping. I'm on food deficit, sleep deficit, high control. I mean, everything I did, I had to run through Allison. And so I was not thinking for myself and I wasn't actually capable of thinking for myself at that time. I was really, really in a fragile state. Has your mom, I'm assuming she's watched the documentary. She must be so proud of you that you've helped put this thing together. She is. She was really proud. And I I think um, what really brought us closer was having to do all the press that we did for the series after the fact. And it just felt so wonderful to just be able to be on the same team and to complement each other and to be able to share this story and really show the that the root of it was the, our love for each other and the fact that we wanted to have our relationship and that my mom saw a life for me that I couldn't see for myself. And so that's that's like a gift, a huge gift that a mother can give. So it must be massively complex as well. I know you have friends who are also in Nixium and I don't know if some still are or, or, or whatever, but it must be massively complex when somebody's been 
you know, they've they've been a big influence in keeping you there or they've been part of the coercive control that are now out, maybe. Is is that just even more of a complex relationship and feelings that you have to uh, address? Um, you know, it has been in, in the past more challenging, especially when I first got out because it was difficult to know who to trust. Um, but I have, I've learned a lot through this. And I think one of those things is knowing that people can be forgiven and that also applies to myself. And so I think that I kind of try to take that position. And if somebody is out there and they have denounced themselves of Nexium and that they're trying to rebuild their lives, I have enormous respect for them in that way because I know how difficult that is. And I don't hold a grudge. It's not worth it. And I just feel like everyone deserves a chance to kind of take their lives back in their own hands and do what they need to do in order to heal and put it back together. And so I don't really criticize anyone's decision. I think the only thing I know that I do is I need separation and boundaries from those who are still involved. And so I don't associate with them because it's not healthy for me. Um, and that's sad because I've lost a lot of friends, friendships that I had for many years. And I've had to grieve those things and those people. Um, and I still hold hope that they'll, they'll see the truth one day and that they'll, you know, forgive themselves for being fooled or whatever it is that they're unable to confront. Um, but I can't control that. And I can't control their decision to want to see the truth because I know how challenging that is and how many dark days I had personally when I was looking deep into what the hell happened these last seven years. So, I mean, it's kind of like a catch-22. You have to want to go in and you have to want to confront these things. And sometimes that means confronting yourself and other people. And so it's challenging. If my, like, you know, you'd wonder, is, is it going to feel like a hangover when somebody sees footage of themselves dancing outside Kieranary's cell or dancing outside a prison? Like, what's that going to feel like? Is it going to be the fear? You know what that is, but they have to obviously address that. That's something that they have to find for right. themselves. And if they want to continue to deny it, that's, which is like the usual MO of, you know, fake news, not going to look at that. And they refuse to acknowledge the, the truth of who Keith Raniere is. That imprisons them, whether they're in prison or not, if that makes sense. They cannot be free of his indoctrination if they can't own the reality of the person that they're actually promoting. So. And so more positively, like you seem yeah. like you're in such an amazing place. It's beautiful to see. What 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 does the future yeah. hold for you? Like professionally, personally, I know you're engaged. I am, and I'm getting married in September. Oh, congratulations. Um, thank you. <laughs> and I uh you know, I've just been really trying to just experience my life and and enjoy it. And sometimes it's harder than than you think. Uh so <laughs> I think for me, it's been about um, learning to take care of myself and also move forward and be grateful for all of the things that I have, which is really easy <laughs> these days because I just feel so fucking lucky that I'm not there anymore. And I um, I am hopefully going to be writing again, which is something that I love to do. And I, I wrote a book that 
came out on Audible called Still Learning that actually came out on the day of Keith's sentencing, which wasn't like an extra jab. Uh, Yes. And and I'm also working exclusively with stars now and I'm uh, a producer for them. And so I'm, I'm tasked with having to find other people's stories who want this type of safe platform to share um, like I was able to share in Seduced. And so I'm looking for those types of unique female oriented stories of um, really people overcoming great challenges and, and coming on the other side of that and what it takes. And so I feel like I have an extraordinary opportunity to, to showcase some really beautiful survivor stories and also um, continue to do what I love, which is to inform and to educate and to work on my active um, activism. And I work with a whole bunch of different charities and I do a lot of behind the scenes stuff with different uh, cult survivors and their families. And um, so I spend a lot of time, sometimes too much time there, <laughs> but I have to learn to balance that um, and to take care of my work and and so I'm just really excited for for the opportunity. I just feel like I just get another opportunity to have my life back. And so I'm all in. I got to say, uh, it's when you watch a show like Seduce or watch a show like The Vow, and maybe you've watched it a few months after it came out in the States, and you then go and Google the people that are in it, you are the best case scenario. So oh, to see to see what's going on with you now, how happy you are, how great things are, it's the best case scenario. So it's the closest thing to a happy ending in real life. I think that anybody that becomes engulfed in the show can can come away with. I hope that it makes them less afraid to watch. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great because show. It's a, it's a, it, it, thank you. I, um, I, I feel really proud about it. I think that uh, I've seen a lot of successes come from, from the series and I, um, yeah, I just feel really lucky. And, and I, do know that I'm I it I won't sugarcoat it. It, it is a challenging road and in healing, like I said, is just not linear whatsoever. And so there's some good days and there's some great days and there's some bad days and and that's just part of it. And so I I do want to let people know that um that it's worth it. It's worth it because you can have your life back and and even though there might be days where you feel like Am I ever going to be able to recover from this? I I believe that they can because I know that they can, and I I've, that's why I continue to speak about this. It's a beautiful way to end the conversation, India. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you, thank you. It's my pleasure. <laughs>